Welcome to episode 61. How many times have you been on a diet? Two, three, four, five, ten, twenty times? Do you actually not remember when you weren't last on a diet? (laughs) And in that time, have you managed to figure out which is the perfect diet? One of the most common questions I am asked in any social situation, once people know what I do, they say, well, what is the perfect diet then? And I want to answer that question on this show here today. So, if you have excess body fat, gut health issues, feel sluggish and gross most days, or you just want to know why the diets you've tried before aren't working, why they're not the perfect diet, then you're on in the right place because that's exactly what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> so, let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. Hey, what's up, my healthy friends? How you doing? Welcome back to another episode of the show. As you know, it's my goal to coach 150 individuals to create the sustainable, healthy lifestyle that they truly want by December 2020. And before I dive into today's show, I just want to do a big shout out to a very large island that is a part of Australia, and that is Tasmania. <laughs> I want to thank Tasmania. Tasmania is one of the Australian states and uh, I have a lot of listeners over there. I have a lot of clients over there and Tasmania has been very good to me. And so, I'm just extending love out to Tasmania because everybody there has been so amazing in sharing my podcast and I've got a few amazing supporters that live in Tasmania. So, I'm really grateful for everybody out there that that engages with my content, that shares it on social media, that tells friends about it and listens themselves. So, I just want to thank you. If you're from Tasmania, this thank you is dedicated to you. I'm so very grateful. So, I want to tell you about dinner parties that I go to, essentially. (laughs) This happens all the time. It happened on the weekend. It it happens at Christmas. It happens at events. It happens amongst colleagues. Even at the hospital, it happens. When people realize that I have studied nutrition, uh, that I'm a nutritional therapist, that I'm really passionate about food as medicine and, you know, dietary approaches to healing the body and helping people lose weight and stuff like that, I constantly... I'm virtually berated. <laughs> no, I'm not berated. That's not true. Um, but I'm, I'm just asked constantly, then what's the perfect diet? Well, how do you eat? Well, what should I do then? And it always comes with this little infliction, like on the words, this inflection rather. It's just that, you know, it comes with this attitude of preconceived ideas of people having consumed content throughout their lives and having formulated their own opinion about diet and nutrition. And so, they come at me in a really defensive way because they think I'm going to be like, right, this is exactly what you have to do. And if you don't do that, then you suck. (laughs) If you don't calorie count and you're not on a calorie deficit, bro, then you're not dieting. You're not doing anything right. You're screwed. You're going to die, whatever. And people are always surprised that when I come back, the answer is, in fact, a podcast long. The truth is that nutrition is really complicated. Health is really complicated. And in order to simplify it, you actually need to spend the time and listen to a 20-minute podcast or my 20-minute answer because <laughs> it's really complicated in answering it. The end result is actually quite simple, but in order for you to understand, believe, and implement, you need to understand the complexities so that we can then get to the simple part. 
Does that make sense? And so, this happens all the time. People ask me about this. And so, I want to answer it here because I virtually want to enjoy the dinner parties that I go to and uh, just refer everyone to this episode of the podcast. (laughs) Rather than make some potential enemies because they don't agree with my philosophies. (laughs) Anyway, so, I want to dive into this. So, at the end of the podcast, I'm going to give you five tips for the perfect diet. But before we get there, I want to start with explaining the complicated stuff that is necessary to get to the to understanding why the simple answer is the simple answer that it is. That was not intended to be a riddle, <laughs> but it was. Um, anyway, so I want to start with social and genetic evolution. Now, this is, as a molecular biologist, this is one of the most important things that I think is not communicated to people in the diet and nutrition conversation. So, A lot of media has published all sorts of information about genetics, right? And I've explained genetics on the podcast before. And I would encourage you to go and listen to, say, episode 44 of this podcast, which is actually me on a radio show talking with Sean Resnick, who's an amazing human and good friend of mine, where I talk a little bit on epigenetics. You can also uh, go to the cancer episode that I did, which is, I'm just scrolling right now looking for it. Um, I did an episode explaining the fundamentals of cancer, episode 39, Understanding Cancer. In both those episodes, I explain genetics in different ways. And so, the reason I want you to understand the difference between social evolution and genetic evolution is because social evolution has been confused with genetic evolution and the media has perpetuated intentionally or unintentionally, I have no idea, but has created this image of genetics that uh, we're victim to them and we can't You know, we can't help them. We just inherit them from our parents and too bad. And a lot of that is true, but also a lot of that is untrue because the way that you treat your genetics is far more important than the the genetics that you have been handed. Now, the, the reason I want you to understand genetic evolution and social evolution is because social evolution happens really quickly, right? Really quickly. Genetic evolution takes tens of thousands of years. Okay, And the reason that this is important is because we are living in a world that is full of all of these different foods and chemicals and toxins and and stresses and problems and mental health issues and physical health issues and uh, problem bacteria and viruses and etc, etc, etc. But that is because our world has socially evolved to be like this, right? We've gone through social evolutions and you only have to look, you know, to the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Each one of those has their own culture and you can see how the next decade evolved, had a social evolution around eating, diet, body image, you know, like, you know, we're talking like the 80s and 90s were very be the skinniest you can be, you know, or the men be as ripped as you can be, women be as skinny as you can be, hips are not good, you know, bums are not good, etc., etc. And now, then there was a social evolution, a few things happened in culture, marketing, etc. 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 And now what? We're in 2020, and what has the, the culture evolved to? Curves are really sexy. Having a booty is amazing. Strong is sexy for women. You know, men can have different body shapes as well, which is you know something that's not really talked about. But even I remember growing up being embarrassed about the fact I had chest hair, and I, I'm only 30, and I even remember that. And now we're in an evolution where having chest hair makes you more manly and masculine, and it's actually a lot of women find that really sexy, but I remember that the, you know, I was very much an athlete growing up and, you know, looking at all the other people in the, in the field that were really ripped and looking healthy, quote unquote healthy, it was all about waxing your chest. And, you know, so even those things change for men. So things undergo this evolution. And so that is a social evolution, right? The important thing is identifying that social evolution happens every couple of years. 
And that goes with diet, nutrition, culture. That evolves. People's beliefs about that evolve and change over a matter of months, years, decades. And it happens very fast. And culture follows that. The trends on Instagram follow that. The trends on in the media follow that. And that is social evolution. So the, the periods of dieting that you went through were a result of social evolution. Okay, And social evolution is not correlated in any way with genetic evolution. And I want to explain what I mean. So, genetic evolution, the last time we went, un- humans underwent a s- significant genetic evolution was in, within the last 350,000 years. And so, in this modern world that we're living in that's so socially evolved to have all these stresses, all these problems, all these negative health impacts, all these fad diets, all these Instagrammers that say, oh, do this, jump on this bandwagon, that we have never genetically evolved to deal with that, ever. We haven't genetically evolved since before electricity was made, since before you could even send a letter in the post, right? Since before settled communities were even around in the history of the planet, right? And so, how can we expect, you know, all of these diets to work for us when our genetics are the genetics of people that are walking around the planet, moving from location to location in tribes, you know, taking shelter in caves, building temporary cities and uh, camping places until the food in the area is depleted and then moving on. Our genetics haven't changed since then, right? So, it's really important to understand that your genetics haven't changed since you just came down from the trees, <laughs> virtually, right? It was The point is, though, it was a very, very long time ago. And so, We've had those genetics for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And so, every new year where there's a new fad, you got to remember when that fad pops up in your Instagram feed, my genetics, have they, is this diet in line with my genetics? And if it's not reminiscent of something that would have been, you know, an option to eat, an ideal diet 10, 20, 30, 40,000 years ago, it's very unlikely that it is in line with successful outcomes, healthy outcomes, because your genetics will be impacted by the food you intake. And if you're not intaking food and nutrition that is supportive of your genetics and helps switch on all of the right genes and switch off the ones that aren't so favorable, just like you would have eaten 50,000 years ago or however many years ago, then it's not going to be a good good diet, right? It's not going to be the ideal diet. It's not going to be hugely beneficial. It's not going to be all that you want it to be. And that's why all of these diets are not the perfect diet. All these iterations of decades that we've been through is because we're eating food at, at, at a frequency, at a you know micro or macronutrient density that has never been seen by our body before. And it's happening so fast. In one year, it's this. One year, it's that. One year, it's this. One year, it's that. And then we just stick to those diets for you know an unnatural amount of time as well. And so, our genetics are trying to figure out the chaos, (laughs) the nutritional chaos that our bodies are in. Because it's like, shit, we did this thing and then we did this thing and then we were massively lacking this thing and we were massively lacking this micronutrient when we went through that phase. And so, the whole body just goes into survival mode because that's what is in your genetics. Your genetics are programmed to protect you. That's often the reason that people accumulate body fat is because they have such shitty eating habits or inconsistent. And you might not feel your eating habits are inconsistent or shitty. That's just the lies that we've been unintentionally fed. I always like to give the benefit of the doubt. We've been unintentionally fed this information because we didn't know better. 
or we're just coming to learn what epigenetics mean and what, you know, history is telling us about the way that we should eat. And it's good to see, especially in Melbourne, we're lucky to be in a healthy city. And I have a, I have a strong bias because I'm very aware that I'm amongst a very healthy group of people socially that, um, you know, I'm pretty lucky to be exposed to diets that are reminiscent of being as close to our origins and to natural health as possible, which is the best for your genetics because that's what your genetics evolved to adapt to. Um, I just want to give you a quick history lesson too, which might interest you. Um, So, it all started to go wrong for us and this is evidence. This is evidence that what we do now is bad for our health. So, it all went wrong about 10,000 years ago, right? So, 10,000 years ago was the beginning of the agricultural revolution where people started realizing you could plant crops, multiple crops, all these seeds and grow plants and trade it for money and resources and time of other people to do things and it started to become a commodity, agriculture, right? And so, this was the beginning of the end. <laughs> pretty much. And we're still in that, that chapter, I might say, because this is where um, the period began where we started to decrease our intelligence because we didn't need to go out and challenge ourselves. We were limited to one location. Remember before this, our, our diet was was very diverse because we'd sit in an area, we'd hunt for something, we'd eat it, the season might change, we'd relocate to another area which was rich in different foods. And then once that area or season changed or that area was deficient in food and you know we had to leave so the food could grow back and go to the next area. Whereas when, once the agricultural revolution started, we didn't need to travel around and our IQ decreased inbreeding increased because our sexual diversity was lowered because we were amongst the same group of people, right? And contraception didn't really exist then. So, it was very likely that you were related to somebody that you were having sex with in these communities that were beginning to form, these permanent communities that were beginning to form. First time in the world we'd seen really permanent you know, uh, communities like this. Um, an increase in infection and illness, again, because we're not getting that diversity of uh, new environments and moving around and getting different foods. Limited nutritional intake because you're just going to be eating, you know, primarily what your farming, your farming is, is producing. So, you're reducing your nutri- micro and macronutrient intake. And you're eating more regularly. So, your body isn't going into fasting windows. And this began 10,000 years ago and our genetics have not evolved in that 10,000 years. So, it's just been a downhill spiral. And then 250 years ago, the Industrial Revolution started, which you know then even further commoditized food and put it into a capacity where it's like, oh, we can make we can make lots of these. One thing that's really low in nutrition and has all of cheap, shitty new, uh, ingredients and nutrition in it, and we can make heaps of them and sell them to people and people will buy them because people want convenience. And then, and now we're in the, you know, now we're in surveillance, surveillance marketing, which is people lit- literally, uh, Facebook literally listens to a conversation you have with your partner and then sells you an ad. And so we're, we're just way down the rabbit hole. This is the chapter since 10,000 years ago that we all started to get fucked up. <laughs> because in that time, social evolution happened a thousand times. You know, it's happened so much. And so we confuse that with genetic evolution, which, which has not happened in that time at all right? At all. All right. I'm very passionate about people understanding that point because it's it's essential to finding the perfect diet that you understand that. Um, and so, one thing, just one last thing on the genetics thing I want to say is about adaption. So, the human body adapts very well to a lot of situations and it adapts very quickly. But here's something I want to put into a frame of reference for you with diet and nutrition. The faster the adaptation the lower the stability. Let me say that again. The faster the adaptation, the lower the stability. 
What do I mean by that? I mean that if you go on a, a fad diet where you make a, a change, just boom. You just make the change and all of a sudden you start seeing results. You're like, yeah, yeah, this is amazing. I've lost a bunch of weight. I lost three kilos in the first week. Oh, my God. Telling my friends, putting photos up online. Hell, yeah, this is the best. That is not going to stick around for very long if it's an extreme approach because if you adapted that fast, if you started losing weight that fast, then the stability of those results is not going to be long-term. They're going to be on shaky foundations. Weight loss should be a one tweak a week, a progressive thing. It should happen slowly over time because the diet that you're moving into needs to be sustainable and healthy and you need your body to adapt slowly, right? And it needs to adapt over a long period of time because guess what? Then the results will stick around. The stability of of that adaptation will be cemented in the ground, right? It will be cemented into your genetics that this is what we do. And how do you know if you don't have good stability? Well, you have two or three days eating shit, not going to the gym, you know, have a couple of off days, poor sleep, etc., etc., and you gain a bunch of weight in that time, like in a very small window of time. You know if you've got stability when you sort of fall off the bandwagon here and there, you might have a few mood food sessions and you realize, oh, the scales are kind of the same and everything's you know, pretty similar and I can actually start again tomorrow and be okay and be back to normal pretty quickly because the stability of the adaptation is solid, right? Does that make sense? So, obviously, I can't hear you say yes, but I'm going to assume that you're walking around with earphones in nodding to yourself. So, awesome. <laughs> Um, so, why don't many diets work? So, why are all the diets we've been doing for decades um, just tell, you know, people go in overweight, they get skinny, and they come out the other side a few weeks after they're finished and they're more overweight than they even began? Why aren't these the perfect diet? So, picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. So most diets fall into one of these five categories. Okay. Number one, they're too restrictive. So whether they cut out foods that you enjoy or whether they actually just cut out entire micro and macronutrient groups for periods of time, that therefore means they're not sustainable, right? They're too restrictive. You're you're either nutritionally deficient 
or you're emotionally deficient, meaning you're missing foods that are that, that you really have an emotional attachment to. Now, there's obviously what I mean by that. I should clarify is that just because you're addicted to chocolate or coffee doesn't mean that they're a good thing for your health. What I mean is that we all have a food that we like to have t- from time to time that's important for our family gatherings or important on date night, whether it's a red wine. And so, what I mean by too restrictive is that that these diets are you know they cut out things that are. are that create an important value point in your life with a partner, with a family member, with a friend, etc., etc. I'm not saying too restrictive in the sense that they cut out your addiction. <laughs> Dealing with your addiction is probably a good idea. Number two, they're not sustainable. So they're so extreme or so radical in nature in the context of your life that you cannot sustain them in your normal life. So a classic one is, you know, people put super ripped people on the front of their, their advertising for nutrition and diet. Like, look how amazing you can look. You can look like this guy. But the point is, you're not that guy, for one, so your body composition is different. But in the context of sustainability, is unless you go and live like that guy, unless you go and live like the PT who's, you know, doing, you know, passive workouts eight hour a day with his clients and a real workout, you know, once or twice a day himself, unless you actually go and do that, that guy's life your results are not going to be the same. And therefore, if the program is saying, this is how I did it, this is how I achieved this result, you do it too. And then you just put your life on hold for eight weeks and then you go and do that and you're like, yeah, yeah, I felt amazing. But, you know, I had to get back to work and I had to do this and that. That's not sustainable. And so many diets tell you to do things that are vastly different to the context of your life. I'm not saying that you shouldn't upgrade and grow I'm just saying that it, that these diets need to be not so far removed from the reality of your day-to-day that it's actually just going to be impossible, <laughs> right? So, not sustainable is another point. Now, lack of variability beyond the adaptation phase is point three. So, what do I mean by that? It sounds a bit geeky, lack of ad- variability beyond the adaptation phase. What I mean by that, and you could probably relate to this, is have you ever been on a diet and you hit a plateau? It just kind of, yep. We body adapted and now we've plateaued. So, the perfect diet needs to have variability because I just told you before, the faster the adaptation, the lower the stability. So, as soon as we adapt, right? As soon as we adapt, we hit a plateau because the body's figured out how to optimize the working of the body with whatever you're giving it at that particular time. And it takes a few weeks and that's usually where you lose a bit of water weight, you might burn a bit of fat and then you you hit a plateau because your body's been like, right, with this new macronutrient and micronutrient uh, intake that we've, we've, we've finally adjusted to, we can run this vessel on what's coming in because we've managed to figure it out. Okay, it's like it's like a it's like a business downsizing, right? It's got the same amount of customers, but it had to cull, you know, ten percent of its workforce, and and it took a few weeks. It took a few weeks to catch up on the calls. It took a few weeks to, you know, get to those sales and those customers that we kind of forgot about in the process whilst we were picking up, you know, the people who got made redundant's work. But once that's up and running, and once you've figured out on how to run the business on less staff you're back. You're back in action. That's what the plateau is. So, the point is that in order to trick your body, essentially, into not adapting, I use with my clients what I call a metabolic curveball. And that is variability. That's introducing variability beyond the adaptation phase or to even prevent, in some cases, the adaptation phase from happening. So, the body continues to keep, you know, burning fat or etc, etc. So, you want variability beyond the adaptation phase of the new diet. Otherwise, you can just get stuck in that plateau and then go look for your next diet.
diet, right? Next one, not functionally healthy. Now, this is huge for vegans. This is huge. And I talked about this on the Game Changers episode, which is... I'll tell you which number it is. Um, um, 49, episode 49, the Game Changers documentary overview that I did. Now, functionally... Not functionally healthy. So, what does this mean? This means you get really excited, you get motivated, you hear a new diet, and you're like, wow, this is amazing. You know, a family member of mine had cancer or, or and went, went vegan and cured it, or, uh, you know, a friend of mine was 30 kilos overweight and just lost 20 kilos just like that. And they, they did it on a vegetarian diet or they did juicing for four weeks, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. And so, for the first two weeks, you're really pumped. You go to all these new stores, you buy all these new products you've never heard of, and you're like, oh, wow, did you know that this food actually tastes good? You know that healthy food can actually taste amazing? And you go through that excitement window. And then after the excitement dies down, you can't be fucked going to those stores. (laughs) You can't be bothered driving out of town to go to the farm that has the special milk. Or you can't be bothered going down to the farmer's market and paying that little bit extra for organic produce. Or you can't be bothered. You you just want to eat something solid, you know, or you you don't want to juice anymore. Or your juicer actually wakes up your partner at five every morning and your partner was was on board for the first two weeks. And they're like, yeah, I'm all for your health journey. And then after you both got over it, you, you realize that you felt bad for waking your partner up for juicing at 5 a.m. every morning and your partner got over it too and was like, shut up. <laughs> I'm sick of you juicing. Just eat your bloody kale. <laughs> and so what do I mean by not functionally healthy? It means that you don't have the money, you don't have the time and you don't have the resources to make that diet sustainable. It's not that veganism can't be done very well. It's not that vegetarianism can't be done very well. But this was my biggest rebuttal to the Game Changers documentary was that most of the people in there were elite athletes with endless money that had a staff of doctors, nutritionists, chefs, etc, etc. Now, if you don't have those things, you have to do those functions in the context of your own life. And after you get over the hype, you no longer are able to functionally be healthy in a vegan diet. So, you become B12 deficient, you become vitamin C deficient, you become, you know, B uh, B complex vitamins deficient as well. Like, there's all these different commonalities that pop up with vegans. Not because it can't be done really well, but because functionally, it costs lots of money, it takes lots of time and we don't have those resources because we're not elite athletes. So, that's just one example in the context, you know, in referencing the game changes. So, for a lot of diets, they're not functionally healthy. Next one, uh, number five, the final one rather, they create or perpetuate unhealthy relationships with eating. Restriction leads to binge every single time. And if you've listened to this podcast a lot before, you've heard me say that a lot as well. Restriction or deprivation leads to binge every single time. So, it sets people up to fail. And if you don't fail, you often have developed a really unhealthy relationship with food. If the, you know, if the diet was too restrictive, if it was not sustainable, if it lacked variability and you're just eating chicken and broccoli for the rest of your life, it creates this really unhealthy relationship with food. And that goes into the whole conversation of being a mental health problem then. And then you've got all of these different other things that end up tethered to that problem. So, it's re- it can become really complicated. So, these are the five big reasons why most diets don't work, okay? Or do for a very short period of time and then don't anymore. Um, and so, now I want to get to what is the perfect diet? The perfect diet. <laughs> so, the truth is, is that... And it's, it's a really unsexy answer and I'm really sorry because humans look for convenience and they want the one, the one shoe that fits everyone, you know, they want the one size fits all uh, answer. And the best diet 
is variability and diversity. Okay, and I've got five points here. And so the best diet is encompassed in these five points that I'm going to give you, right? And it's not, it's not a particular diet with a particular name or title because the truth is we should actually bounce between lots of different diets, just like when our genetics were formed to behave, right? What did we do? We were carnivore for a while because we had a big hunt and the whole tribe ate for a few days. It was amazing. And then we, the seasons changed and we moved into the, the woods and the forest and we found berries and we found vegetables that were naturally growing and then we picked those and ate those. And so we were potentially vegan for a few weeks. And then, we, then whilst we were trekking across the savannah, we might have been fasting for three weeks or a month and you know nobody was dying. There was no starvation happening. And then we came into some different food. So the truth is that was when your genetics were designed. So, the truth is that the best diet is you jumping between diets. (laughs) And I don't mean fad diets. I mean just changing up what's on your plate. So, here's five points to help you build the perfect diet. Number one, biggest, most important factor, whole real food. It needs You need to look at your plate or look at your bowl or whatever, and it needs to look like it came from the farm. It needs to look like a plant or an animal that has been hunted. The ideal meat, obviously, is hunted meat because it's free of vaccines and uh, pesticides and herbicides and grain-fed whatevers and, you know, all of the toxic chemicals and hormones and uh, stresses that uh, factory-farmed meat has are really toxic to the human body. So, if you can get grass-fed and if you can get even better naturally hunted, amazing. But whole real food. So, it's got to look like meat or fish, right? Or... It's got to look like a vegetable or a fruit or a nut or a seed, something that came from the farm. Number two, a clean and consistent intermittent fasting window. Now, you know I'm a huge advocate for intermittent fasting. My online group coaching program is, uh, is well, it's a food and fasting program essentially, which is helping people get more energy focus and productivity. And it's, it's not a fad which is what a lot of people think it is, intermittent fasting. You've got to understand we've been naturally fasting for all of human history. It's just that now, you know, it's on Instagram and people can use it in a marketing sense. So, helping people understand what happens to the body whilst it's fasting is equally as important as understanding what food you put into the body, right? And and how to put that food in the body and what time to put that food in the body and how to get the most out of the micro and macronutrients. Equally important is when your gut is in rest and repair mode. And if you're not focusing on or if you're not prioritizing a fasting window on a daily basis, then you are unfortunately neglecting a big part of your health, whether it be weight loss, whether it be gut health, whether it be the cleanup of your immune system because most of your immune's in your gut as well, whether it be disease states. Intermittent fasting is used in disease states as well. So, I'm a very big proponent of intermittent fasting and, and using fasting. I'm actually about to begin a 72-hour fast myself uh, this evening, which is pretty amazing, <laughs> if I don't say so myself. <laughs> I was actually going to say pretty challenging. It's actually not challenging me for me at all anymore. I'm very well conditioned. But I would never recommend anybody just do that on a whim. Send me a message if you want to venture down that path. <laughs> Either way, I have programs for intermittent fasting so you can learn how to train your biology into healthy patterns. Number three, the rainbow method. The rainbow method is simply having five different colors on your plate for every single meal. This is to guarantee nutritional diversity because most people do not get in enough nutritional diversity and the different colored plants have different groups of nutrition that the other plants that don't have that color are devoid of. So, the idea is to get the full palette of micronutrients into your diet. Number four is diversity. Now, this is kind of what I touched on before. You need to bounce around. It's okay. it's good to have like a wheat, a, 
It's good to have like a week free of meat. And then it, it might be good to be carnivore for a couple of days. You know, as long as your gut and your body responds positively, of course, of course. But my point is it's good to introduce different foods. You should spend each week and go to the, uh, the fruit and veg section, or the produce section or the market and pick up a, a, a fruit or vegetable that you don't even know what the name is. Ask what it is and buy that. Because diversity, nutritional diversity and bacterial diversity in the gut is really important. And the only way you do that is by going out your normal scope of dietary choices, right? And that doesn't mean, oh, I go to Macca's and instead of getting the big mat, I get the double quarter pounder. <laughs> I mean, physically different foods that come from different places, right? And diversity in your lifestyle as well, going to different environments, breathing in the air in different areas. You know, like the closer you are to a green strip, you know, the better because sitting and touching natural earth helps populate your gut uh, bacteria and your microbiome in a really healthy way. So, getting into nature is, and a diverse type of nature, being in different places often is really beneficial. So, diversity is really important. Number five is flexibility. So, flexibility is really important because we live in the Western world. And, and as much as, yes, we could always, it'd be great to always eat just like we, you know, we're, we're tribes back 60,000 years ago, we're not. And we need flexibility built into our diet in order for us to maintain our relationships, our place in society, that you know, the health of our body as well, you know, the health of our brain and our feelings and emotions. Um, and that's again not giving you an excuse or a window to be uh, to abuse. Flexibility must be used in a healthy way and not to feed addictions or justify negative relationships with food. It should be used in a really healthy way, one that serves you, one that, one that contributes to your development and growth. So, these are the five things that build the perfect diet. Whole real food, a clean and consistent intermittent fasting window, the rainbow method, diversity, and flexibility. Only with these five things are you anywhere near the perfect diet. And the perfect diet is different for everyone. Like the most important diet is the one that you commit to, that gets you the results you want, and that is actually healthy for your body (laughs) and that you can sustain. It's got to be sustainable, right? So, the important thing is to understand that you can get as close as possible to the perfect diet for you if you implement these five rules, okay? Whole real food, a clean and consistent intermittent fasting window, the rainbow method, diversity, and flexibility. So, Anyone that I've talked to at a dinner party, it was lovely to uh, spend the evening with you and I'm glad that I could refer you to this podcast. (laughs) Anyway, I just love you guys and I thank you for jumping on. I've answered this question a lot face-to-face with people um, and I kind of end up taking over most dinners when people ask that question because I feel so obligated to give all the information in order to be able to answer that holistically and correctly in you know and and i i owe it to people to be clear about the answer so the answer is simple it's just these five points but you need to understand the genetic problems and also the social problems and the difference between those problems before you can get to the simple answer so as usual if you enjoyed this episode please share it with a friend on social media linkedin instagram facebook take a screenshot of the episode pop it up in your story tag me at Maddie Lansdowne. All my links will be below. And if you are listening to an episode with a guest, uh, also tag them as well. I've had some phenomenal guests. Um, And uh, yeah, awesome. That's us, right? That's it. Well, I will see you on the next episode of the podcast. Be good to yourself and uh, start building your perfect diet. See ya. 
Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.